That's okay, because that's why you get the auto mute. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Spurts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, I am fired up today, man. Forget about the red market. Forget oh. about NBA kicking my ass. Forget about losing money in college in March Madness. We're talking baseball. I am fired up for baseball season, to be honest, and we have a special guest. But uh, how, what's your, how are you feeling today? Good. Yeah, I lost. I didn't lose. I lost one and tied like three other golf matchups on the 18th hole. Like where oh. the other guy, I was up by one oh. and four of them. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm fully, I'm ready to start a new sport, whatever. Fuck golf. We're done. So yeah, we'll bring in a special guest. We do need to thank our sponsor, the WinBet. not the WinBet, just WinBet. They're uh, live in three States, about to be in more. I was still get your $500 risk-free bet thousand. If you live in, we decided it was the Wolverine state, Michigan, Michigan, thousand dollar risk-free bet. I did put a blog up on Betsperts on maybe your best way to use that. Although it's a little dated since I told you to bet on like Ohio or Oral Roberts. They got to bribe um, people to move to Michigan, huh? Should have done that. Yeah, they kind of do. But like I said, and like you, you said, know what? the old, the lone man, lone man standing. Among the Big Ten in March Madness. It is Michigan. Michigan. Congrats to the Wolverines for taking that. was a fun game. Um, Yeah, Monday we hit a couple live bets. And like we teased earlier, Adam Burke. Adam Burke. We had him on last year. He gave me a bet that somehow was honored. It was uh, Tampa to make the playoffs at like minus 120. That bet said, I mean, it sat there as long as it normally would have. But Owen just made me laugh that they still honored it after the the silly system. And we talked a little off air about that. We'll get into some of that just in case any of you are baseball casuals like us. Make sure you understand the rules and a little bit back uh, to normalcy this year, hopefully. Tampa, Tampa did better than make the playoffs last year. They almost yeah, won no, it, it all. Was, it was that was stupid. real I didn't, close. I didn't stack it. Yeah. Real close. If they if they leave uh, if they leave their starter in a couple more innings, who knows? We may get into that. Um, but yeah, no. Welcome to our guest today, Adam Burke at Skating Tripods from Twitter. Um, you know, well well respected, a handicapper among the community, best known for baseball. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. Cool, cool. Well, uh, if that that is a heck of a set of uh, of pipes for radio, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, and uh, happy to be back, man. You know, hopefully, I don't jinx the baseball season like I did last year, uh, as Andy <laughs> was talking about before we started recording. But happy to be back, man. I love the show. Love what you guys do. So it's an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, we're we're excited to get talking to you. Um, and you know, it's we're at the time of season where I'm just starting to do my research, I'm just starting to get a little bit of a feel for things. I'm not the biggest baseball better in the world, but of course, I love to get I love to get into it. I mean, once we're in like sort of the dog days of summer, there's nothing more fun than putting the game. You know, if there's a day game, throw that on the radio and and have a little action. And uh, it is it's a it's just it's a it's a great sport to bet on because there's so many games every day. There's 
you know, all, you know, every, uh, every day of the week, obviously no days off. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of get your perspective as we head into the 2021 season. Uh, I guess credit to them for getting half of a season in last year. <laughs> it was, it was dicey at times, but overall I, I thought it was very entertaining. Obviously a quick recap, the, uh, the odds on favorite all year long, the LA Dodgers, uh, ended up the champions first time since 1988, I want to say. Uh, so it was a long drought, but finally clinched by the Dodgers. The Dodgers had um, all the pieces you could possibly have asked for in the world. Uh, one of the most stacked teams. I'm assuming we head into this season and we're looking at more of the same. Um, but what is your general temperature as we head into this season of MLB action? Do you think that overall this offseason has been relatively quiet. It has felt quiet. And I'm not sure if it's just because I've been interested in other things or if in reality the teams were just kind of sitting on their chips and sitting on their hands and you know everybody's kind of waiting to see how the coronavirus played out, fans in the stadiums, yay or nay. You know, what is what are our budgets really gonna look like? You know, what's going on with our farm system? I mean, it kind of felt like there's a lot of let's 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 hold on, let's wait. Uh, and so then from a handicapping perspective, maybe it's just going to be more of the same as last year. Is that, a, is that a fair kind of way to look at the season as we start here? You know, the off season was pretty quiet. I mean, a lot of teams, a lot of ownership groups crying poor, talking about all the money that they lost during the abbreviated season last year. And a big part of it too, is that after this season, they'll have significant CBA negotiations because the collective bargaining agreement will run out. And there are a lot of labor issues between the players and the owners. So that kind of led to a little bit of a slow offseason. Not to mention there's a really big free agent class next year, which or at the end of this season, which is really going to be interesting with all those CBA negotiations going on. But yeah, you have a lot of teams that, you know, they don't really know where they stand organizationally because you didn't have any minor league baseball last year. You only had teams playing at their alternate training sites where they had you know, a, a, an assortment of minor leaguers kind of playing against each other and all of that. So you had some teams that didn't really find out a whole lot about themselves last year. You had some teams that, like I said, were crying poor, uh, you know, throughout the offseason. So it is a little bit difficult. It was it was a very tepid offseason, I would say. A lot of guys signed very, very late. A lot of guys that didn't even get major league contracts. They're just in spring training on non-roster invites and all of that. So you know, it's just the, the, like you said, the, the temperature of this season is just, it's very unique. It's very different, you know, changes to the baseball. Uh, you go from 60 games and pitcher workloads of 50, 60 innings to 162 games and pitchers now being asked to throw their usual workloads. There's a lot going on, a lot of uncertainty, and maybe the biggest question mark for all of us in the handicapping community will be, how do we interpret what we saw last year where the sample size was very small, where you only played nine different teams as opposed to playing, you know, all of one league and interleague and all of that. So you played 40 of your 60 games against your division opponents. So that skews the numbers quite a bit based on the strength of the division and all of that. A lot of questions, probably more questions than answers to be totally honest with you going into this full season. Yeah. We're not gonna have trouble filling up an hour today because I just I thought of like so. nine. <laughs> I just thought of like nine questions. I guess my fr- and these are just things that are going through my head. What did some of these? And this might not even matter to handicapping, but I have to know what did some of these minor leaguers do? Like there were a certain amount of players that were on that like at the taxi squad thing. I know a lot of people who were just you know maybe they were towards the end of their 
you know, giving up on the dream anyway. They just said, I'm, I'm done. I can't. There's no minor leagues. I got to go get a job. But, I mean, were there some people that were kind of in-betweeners there that they didn't get to play organized baseball at all last year that are going to try to hop back on that train? And, I mean, are, are we full go all the way from rookie ball up to everything? Like, every was there minor league organizations that folded? I mean, what's the minor league system look like this year? Yeah, the minor league system actually looks a lot different. I think AAA season starts May 9th, I believe. So that's even a little bit of a late start there with that. But they did get rid of, you know, some of the low minors teams, the the rookie ball teams, the single A, low A, high A, stuff like that. They actually got rid of some of those affiliations. So now you've got some independent league teams out there. I know you're up in Northwoods League country. Uh, There are more independent leagues like that popping up now because some of these minor league teams just aren't affiliated you know, with Major League Baseball anymore. So that's a factor. Um, yeah, there were guys that, you know, played at the alternate training site. There were guys that probably worked out at the spring training complex, particularly those coming off of injuries. You know, they would have had oversight from team officials and all of that. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys in, you know, single and double A that, that weren't on the taxi squad, weren't at the training site. I mean, they were, you know, picking up jobs, summer work, maybe landscaping, moving, stuff like that while still trying to stay in some semblance of baseball shape. So, yeah, there are a lot of questions about what, you know, single A and double A baseball will actually look like for this year. Top prospects, you know, bonus babies, those guys that can afford not to play for a few months, I'm sure they're okay. But, you know, a lot of guys didn't pitch at all last year, didn't swing a bat really in a competitive environment at all last year. So that'll be a big question as teams face injuries, you know, and as guys get called up and all of that you know, what the drop-off is going to be from a major leaguer to a guy that maybe didn't even play at all last season. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I got a yeah, macro I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. it was that big of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, that's fascinating. And I think it's, I, when is that really going to kick in and start to really cycle things around like May, like usually the first couple months of the season, we have pretty static roster, right? Yeah. Usually. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of big question marks this year and uh, whale with, you know, these these pitchers going from pitching 55 or 60 innings last year as a starter right. to all of a sudden being asked to throw 175 this year. And in particular, you think about some of the teams that use young starters, like at Kansas City, they use Brady Singer and Chris Bubik, two guys that made the leap from, from high A and from double A. Well, you're not going to ask prized young arms to throw 170 innings for you. So teams are going to have to go 12 to 15 starters deep this year and not all those starters pitched last year. So there will be a lot of moving parts in terms of, you know, handicapping call-ups, what the market will do to react to those guys. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> I, I try to answer as many questions as I can in that MLB betting guide, but there are some things that we just, we won't know until the games actually start. That, that kind of covered one of my questions too. Obviously, you know, you think about back in the seventies when they had like a three man rotation, like, I just feel like it's going to be, well, and, and some of the wildness we've seen, eh, maybe not even wildness. I mean, some of it you can attribute to analytics and just teams trying some new things with the, you know, the opener, the the piggyback start or whatever you call that, and some of that stuff like that. I think probably just need to be on your toes. It's kind of the theme through every league. 
that we've had to deal with post Corona or during Corona or anything where you just like informational stuff is going to be more and more important. I remember just, you know, all the issues we had last summer with, uh, I know some guys at pet baseball and what a pain in the butt that was, but I think even more that's going to be this, you know, a lot of the cases going forward, not so much with games getting canceled and, you know, the fact that like the Cardinals had to play God knows how many double headers and all that jazz and some of these games. And then it's like, Oh, is this a seven inning game? Christ, that was a huge pain in the butt, but there's going to be a lot of this with just, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to get, you know, X amount of inning, however many innings they have to play out of the arms that they have that aren't stretched out from last year. I think, yeah, once you hit the middle of the year, you are really going to have to pay attention to, I don't know, like what, what are you, what are your go-tos for the information on that for anyone who's trying to do that mid season, figure out like, you know, how, how are you going to find out while well, they're starting this guy, but it's like three innings or he's, he's going five tops. This is a piggyback game. Like, is it, I, I know you've kind of cultivated probably a, you know, a network of news sites, Twitter accounts, and people you talk to to figure that out. But what's a good start for people who are trying to do that, this, especially in a year where it's so important. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just look for the team beat writers and, you know, you follow them on social media and you, you hope that that information gets out there. I mean, you know, obviously, there's some gamesmanship involved, so you know maybe we don't find out everything as there is in every league. But but one of the big things that I'll be looking at a lot over the summer months is you know sometimes you hear pitchers talked about as having a dead arm period, where maybe they're just kind of pitching through something where they're not as sharp, the velocity's not up, something like that. I the good thing for me is I look at a lot of those under the hood metrics, things that could be injury indicators like mm-hmm. fastball velocity. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that's really good to look at is. Uh, decrease in spin rate usually suggests an injury. So those are things that I'll be looking at over the summertime where maybe you've got a pitcher who is kind of running on fumes or something's wrong with him, something like that. Maybe you've got an impending injured list stint. Well, I'm going to look to try to go against that guy before he gets put on the shelf. So for me, you know, the onus will be on me to look for those velocity decreases. Look for those situations where maybe the command and the control aren't nearly as good and then if it all pairs together with you know spin rate decreases, I'm going to assume that guy's hurt or there's something else going on with him. And that's something that I try to do is try to prey on pitchers that appear to be injured because I would just assume that they're not going to be as effective as usual. Mm-hmm. And that could be a very real thing here this season, especially as we get deeper into the year and you know more into the summer. Hmm. Okay. And what about, you know, you could, there's other reasons you could decrease spin rate, right? I mean, there's right. potentially, uh, potentially some rules. You got, you play. got traded away yeah. from Houston. Yeah. You're yep. not using the bullfrog anymore. Uh, yeah. There, there's, there's other reasons. Okay. Well, well and allegedly major league baseball is supposedly cracking down on that this year. Totally. That announcement came down today. I, I don't think it happens. I don't think it'll be policed. <laughs> I don't think the umpires want to get, you know, involved in that. Oh, sure. But if it happens, you know, it will be interesting to kind of see if there are some guys, you know, like Trevor Bauer, for example, or Garrett Cole, who do wind up, you know, not tempting fate and their spin sure. rates do go down. Sure. It's, you know, it's just, it's all part of the puzzle. And, and you guys know as well as I do. I mean, the, the quest for trying to find edges in, in each and every league that's out there is never ending. And, and that's just one that I'll have to, you know, be vigilant about this season. I like it. I like it. Well, let me ask you a macro question as I kind of step back and I look across the futures landscape here. So, if for, before I had kind of done a little bit of digging into prices, I would have told you, ah, you know, this is like every year. The AL is a heck of a lot stronger than the NL, Dodgers notwithstanding. Um, but, 
bunch of the top teams here in terms of World Series price are NL teams. I'm looking at uh, Dodgers. I'm looking at Mets. I'm looking at uh, Padres are all under 10 to 1. Um, the only team in the entirety of the AL that is under 10 to 1 is, are the New York Yankees. Are we seeing a little bit of a shift here where just because of, you know, the, you know, uh, up and coming young players and way free agency is shaken out that, uh, you know, that they're the top heavy nature of AL versus NL is not really something I can count on this year. Well, I think when you look at the futures market, you know, obviously the Dodgers being the reigning champions, best team on paper. And then the Padres who are in the same division have the second highest win total of the national league teams. So you know, those it's supposed to be a very top heavy National League West, to say the least. The thing that's ironic to me is, you know, when, when you talk about futures markets, and, and you know this as well as I do, I want to get a team to the playoffs and then I want to have options. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to pick the winner of the championship. I just want to get me, I just want to get a price there and then have options to do something with it. And it's crazy to me to sit here and think that the Padres are, you know, what the third favorite to win the World Series, fourth favorite, something like that. They're going to have to play a one-game playoff in all likelihood. And if it's not them, it's the Dodgers in that wild card game to where anything can happen in a one-game sample. Absolutely anything can happen. So I do think it's pretty funny that you look at two teams from the same division that are you know kind of priced as, as a couple of the favorites to be there for the World Series. But what it really boils down to is that in the American League, the Yankees are the clear-cut favorite to win the East. And then in the central, you've got the White Sox and the Twins who are on pretty even footing. The futures market doesn't exactly say that, but the win total market does. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing there. The West seems to be wide open. I think Houston's the best team there, but there's no well-defined winner in that division. And then over in the National League, you've got the Braves and the Mets, and the Nationals are kind of on that second tier. I happen to like the Phillies, but they're kind of on that third tier. Anybody could win the NL Central but the Pirates. And then you've got the the Dodgers and the Padres. So when you look at the composition of both leagues and the teams that are most likely to make the playoffs via winning the division, you know the only teams that have really short futures prices are the ones that are highly likely to either win the division or get one of the two wild card spots. So it does kind of skew the futures market quite a bit. Yeah, we talk about that in other markets, whether it's like a tennis outright for a tournament or you know golf when. We've had a few situations with golf where like a, a major important golfer has dropped out of the tournament late. It's it's been one of the favorites like three times this year. And you know, the big thing is like that that guy took up this amount, you know, X percentage of the market. And that's what you that's what you kind of need to look at when you're looking at the Padres and Dodgers. Like they're taking up a, a decent gob of the market here. And like you said, one of the, they can't both win the division. It's just not how things work. Somebody's playing a one-team play-in game, and yeah, I mean, for the most part, the better team should win. You get to trot out your starter. Worst-case scenario would be that that division comes down to it in the last game, and they're not resting starters. They're not setting up for the playoff game. They're you know scratching and clawing to win that. That would be a huge disadvantage if you end up having to trot your number three guy out there in a, in a one game playoff. That things could get squirrely in the NL. I like that a lot. So yeah, definitely kind of take a look at what uh, you know what percentage of the market is eaten up by some teams, and maybe start to stake your money elsewhere. Man, there's really no. There's really no uh, clear other option, though. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, Mets and Mets and Braves basically on equal ground to win the to win the National League pennant. 
Um, it, the the NL Central, what a coin flip. I mean, I guess I think the St. Louis Cardinals probably a little overrated by the market at plus 124 to win the Central when you have Cubs at 4-1, to one, Reds at 4-1, to one, Brewers at 3-1. Uh, to one. Um, I, I guess, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into specifics here, but uh, is if there's a team to attack uh, as far as the price goes in the National League, you, I know you mentioned the Phillies. Uh, that's a big price. What about someone in the in the, in this kind of second tier medium range? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for from a future standpoint is looking to attack some of the higher variance divisions. And I think that the National League Central is one of them to where, you know, I've seen Milwaukee. And in fact, I've got a piece of Milwaukee at Milwaukee, one of the places out there. I was hoping there. you were going to say and, that. I, I found them at 55 to one to win the world series. And, oh, and I wow. think they're the best. I think they're the team with the highest ceiling, the highest upside in that NL central division. So that's what I did. You know, I, I look for a team. Like I said, I just, just get me there. I don't give a damn how you do it. Just get me there. And then I can find, you know, because look, as we know, I mean, the playoffs are a bracket style format. And we talk about, you know, with March madness going on, you know, you've got hedging opportunities. You have a lot of different options, a lot of different ways you can play your futures. So if Milwaukee wins that division, and I think they should, and I think three to one to win the division is actually a pretty decent price on them, and it's higher at some places as well. If you get me there at 55 to one, I don't give a damn if you get swept in the division series. You got me there, and I've already gotten some profit off of you. So that's kind of where I look to attack, where the Mets and the Braves, it's a coin flip to me. I Both teams are you know lined in the same range. I do think the Braves are a little bit better. But I'm not taking 10 to 1 or 12 to 1 with either the Mets or the Braves, knowing that one of the two teams wins the division, probably. The other one's got to go play the wild card game, play whoever doesn't win the National League West. So that's a very hard one game playoff. Yeah, right. So I stayed away from that. And, and similarly, you know, in the American League, the Yankees probably win the East. I do like the Rays again this year, but the Yankees probably win the East. Cubs and or, uh, Twins and White Sox, that's a coin flip to me. And then the West. I think that's where you have to attack from a World Series standpoint because there's no well-defined winner for that division. And I've got a piece of Houston at 25 to 1 to win the World Series. And I don't know if they yeah. do it or not. But again, if I get a 25 to 1 there with a team that's probably pretty live in any round that it plays, again, it just gives me options. It gives me ways to kind of attack it to where I can stay away from the short prices and also stay away from those teams that could have to go to the wild card game. And I mean, just some quick parlay math, like let's say, I mean, let's say the Braves and Mets are damn close. They end up playing a really good, you know, like a 95 win Padres team, you know, in that one game playoff, I have no idea. I'm terrible at pricing baseball. It's what, like plus 125, maybe worse. It, it so, I mean, if it's the Braves you know, it, and it's DeGrom, like DeGrom's a favorite probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, even, even if you make that a pick them and then right. they go, you know, they go play their you know, whichever team, again, they played the Braves or the Mets. Maybe they meet each other in the next round or the round after. I, I think it would probably end up being, if you if you win the wild card, then you get the Dodgers. So if that's, I don't know what that series price would be. I'm, I'm looking for help here because I'm, apparently I'm bad at pricing this already. But, I mean, that's seriously, like, it's spring training. You got lots of Yeah, like two to one? Yeah, two plus 225, maybe something like that, plus 250. Yeah. So, I mean, you got that and that. And then they'd have to win one more series, even if they're a pick 'em in the NLCS. Multiply that by two. We're at fourteen to one on a rollover before you even get to right. the World Series. So yeah. it, it kind of makes twelve to one sound less appealing 
because even if you do have to skip that one game playoff, you have three rounds worth, and it's probably going to come out somewhere to fifteen to one if you did the rollover. So maybe if you know if you're really enamored with one of those teams, uh, a, a money line rollover on the series prices, or even some you know they do have some series props. Like I love that sort of stuff, especially when we get into any of these you know MLB, NBA, NHL, where you have the seven game series and you can play the you know plus two games in the series prices and things like that. You can get creative in the playoffs for sure. So, and maybe avoid some of those 12s that are going to end up. I mean, one of them, like you said, is going to end up playing a one game playoff game. And even if that's a pick them, that adds quite a bit to the, the parlay math and kind of ruins the number for you. No, yeah, it's an excellent point. And, and it's something that, you know, frankly, I didn't really consider with Milwaukee just because, you know, they, they don't have that one game play in. And I know that they're going to be a you know a pretty big underdog in the division series, regardless of who they play. But to me, that's just you know I mean fifty five to one. You know I, I don't expect that team to go deep. One of the other teams, the Mets or Braves, could go deep. I mean the Braves very easily could have beaten the Dodgers and, and wound up in the World Series last year. So yeah. I don't think that the Brewers have that level of upside. So I'll go ahead and take my futures price and just kind of play with it from there. But other teams that can make a run. Yeah, then you definitely look at that money line rollover route for sure. What's what's the rule on that? And here's a good maybe we'll start getting into rule change questions here, but I remember it used to be and this was when there was four teams, you couldn't play the team in your own division in the first round because you didn't want to see that. They they'd split them up. So if like one and four were, you know, the Twins and Tigers, they wouldn't play each other. They'd move it around and things would get weird. But like if the if the wild card is the, Do- the wild card winner is the Padres, and the Dodgers are the one seed, and they win that. It's just Padres Dodgers immediately. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's so what like, it, yeah, and that, that's the thing about a Milwaukee at fifty five. If you end up with Milwaukee at fifty five, they've win, won their division. Series, they're they're maybe. not likely getting in as a wild card. They've probably won their division, and they're probably not facing the Dodgers nor the Padres until the NLCS. You maybe get them at a you know they might be a. God knows what, uh, let's say the Braves or Mets or somebody like that. And you do get to avoid the big dogs for one round. So I kind of love that one now. I might be a Brewers fan. I guess if if someone sprints to the lead in the NL Central, though, do we try to change our strategy a little bit and grab a still a long shot price on them? Or do you think that the NL Central is going to be a battle that we really don't have clarity on until like August, September? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I mean, I grabbed Milwaukee because, like I said, I think they have the highest ceiling in that division, but they're also a team that's very top-heavy. So if, if they wind up losing one of their five or six key guys, then, you know, they're kind of out there in a disabled boat, you know, where the engine's not working, and they just kind of go wherever the wind blows them. So maybe at that point, I would look at a team like a Cincinnati, you know, or something like that. See, the problem with a team like the Cubs is that, They've got five key free agents at the end of the year. And that's something else that I have to think about, too, from a future standpoint, is I know what the team looks like now. What will they look like in August or September after the trade deadline and all of that? So, you know, that's why, you know, it's it's a multi-layered approach, obviously, to futures, as you guys know, from betting them across all sports. But that's the thing is I don't know if there's ever a point in time where I look at the Cubs. But I can yeah. very easily take a look at the Reds. I can easily take a look at the Cardinals. And, you know, 55 to 1 gives me margin to do that. True. I, yeah. I'm happy with the price grab, honestly. I like it. Uh, I mean, it's not like the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs are dedicated to fielding a, a good team at all costs, though, right? I mean, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> no, course. Okay. No, and, I, and it, it's I'm, not like football, too. 
didn't yeah no we we have this with when we get into our football futures and we say like hey guess what green bay has a really nasty four game stretch like we can legitimately say these four teams are going to be probably very good that's a quarter of the season like it's hard to say hey here's a really nasty 35 gift 30 what 38 (laughs) 40 game stretch damn near like there's you know, it's hard to say like, oh, here's buy points in the season. You know, it is something to look for. There's going to be teams that just have some bad injury luck. Um, I mean, let's like the Oregon Ducks in the tournament right now. They're a lot better than people thought because they had COVID and injuries. Like there can be stuff like that where uh, a team ends up with a starting pitcher or two in the IR early. You know, they're going to be a good team. Maybe their futures get depressed. So you don't have to grab stuff preseason. And, you know, if, if you don't have anything you like, it's a good idea to kind of keep your eyes open. It's something we do in the NFL. It's something we obviously do in the NBA. Um, now that we're heat backers again. But, uh, you know, it, it's just, you know, situationally, Watch out for teams like that. A good team that ends with, you know, a little snake bitten at the beginning of the year. A, you know, a bad team that makes a nasty run, and that can just affect the market. Like, they're not going to win this division. I don't care if they started 23-5. and five. They're not a good team. This is just flukiness. You know, you can you can grab division prices. You can grab some futures on maybe the, just the pennant for things like that. So that's something I always try to do in the NFL, and I know it's a little trickier. With seems like there's just so many moving pieces in baseball with the, you know, the – starting pitching thing so tricky to me well you think about it i mean the nationals in 2019 they were 19 and 31 after their first 50 games and and went into the playoffs as a wild card and then won the world series and there have been years where the dodgers you know when they've won division titles they'll be 500 through their first you know 40 50 games something like that then all of a sudden flip that switch like good teams can do so yeah the you know it is a dynamic futures market which is nice i mean it's it's always in motion always in flux to where yeah, like you said, you don't have to play anything preseason. You may find something during the year that winds up looking really good. What would you say uh, our weakest uh, division is? Because, I mean, in the schedule, it, it, like in the NFL, schedule's imbalanced. Like, the Patriots got to play the AFC East two times, you know, two, twice <laughs> twice a year, every year uh, for, you know, two decades there uh, when they stunk. So, it, I guess, is there a similar kind of lopsided schedule nature to MLB where you got you know, 19 of your whatever, you know, 19 games against every one of your divisional opponents, I believe? Uh, and in that, in that sense, who is our, you know, where are our weak spots? Because it's tough to tell from the futures market. It looks pretty pretty spread out as far as where the true stinkers are i don't see yeah. very many clustered yeah it's it's one of those things you know you think about a, a division like the nl west for example where you've got i mean two teams are going to be really good and three teams that probably aren't you know and, and you could see that from a futures market standpoint where the season win total for the giants is 75 and a half diamondbacks are in the same spot and then the rockies are, are well below that because it's such a top heavy division the Central Division, I mean, I think St. Louis is 86 and a half, and then the Brewers are 83 and a half. You know, uh, the ceiling is very low for the Central Division. All of those teams are not very good offensively. Like the Brewers have the best pitching, which is why I like them. But yeah, I mean, you play 76 of 162 games against the teams within your division. So those are really important games. And, and a big reason why, even though the Dodgers and the Padres are in the same division like we talked about, that's why they still have the two highest win totals in the National League because the idea is in the 57 games within the division that they don't play against each other, they should fare really well in those. So you know, I think that the West top to bottom is, is pretty weak simply because the bottom three teams are so bad. But I also think that you know the AL West, just 
I think Houston looks good. I'm fading Oakland this year. And the Angels just never really live up to the expectations. I think the Rangers are the worst team in baseball this year, and the Mariners could very well be close. So I think while most people will say the NL Central, I think I could make a pretty strong argument for the AL West possibly being the worst division in baseball. I was I was uh, getting that same sense as well, and I was actually surprised that the Angels are three to one to win the West. That seems like a misprice because I don't know what is I don't know what about that roster outside of Mike Trout or and I guess Otani look look Otani, ap- yeah. appealing, uh, but that you know that that's a that's a pretty um, pretty uh, you know pretty top heavy crew. Um, Interesting that you say the Rangers may be the worst in baseball. Uh, I had that. <laughs> there, there's a team out east that has something. <laughs> I, I, I think the Orioles win more games than the Rangers. For I was actually going Pirates. Pirates in the very egalitarian yeah, they, NL they, Central. They, have a they are 100 to 1 to win the NL Central. That's not good. Um, no. Season went total yeah. 58 and a half. I mean, oh it, it, is, it is really hard to line a team to lose over 100 games in a win total market. Yeah, you win, but, you but win who 60 the hell's, who's by accident in baseball. You win 60 by accident in baseball. That's what they oh say. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that's the old saying. Like, the, the best team... The best team loses a third of their games. The worst teams win a third of their games. It's the other third that matters. And I mean, but there have been a few years here. I mean, I'm thinking like of the Tigers a few years back. And honestly, the you know, we didn't really get to see them in their full glory, the Orioles, because we didn't get the full season. But I mean, there's there's been some pretty bad teams. It's I don't know if it's a you know just a casualty of how they do business now but these rebuilds are just full ass rebuilds not like, and they, not just full they, ass they, they are the bottom. they are long long term i mean this is very like, long you're not i mean some of these teams aren't going to be relevant until it's like 2030 yeah well i mean you think about a team like baltimore for example who i i kind of like their season win total over which i mean shame on me maybe for that i think it's 64 which you know obviously a very low number but when you think about them, I mean, Toronto, their core is here. New York always spends a lot. Boston will eventually spend a lot again. And then you, know, you got Tampa Bay, who's just outright the smartest team in baseball and maybe the smartest organization in all of sport. So for Baltimore, I mean, how long does it take for them to win 80 games, let alone, you know, have a chance to win the division? I mean, it's it's brutal. And I don't know, maybe the CBA that we talked about earlier, maybe there is a salary cap. Maybe there's a salary floor, something that kind of incentivizes teams at the bottom to get better or spend at least to get better. I don't know. But I mean, for Baltimore, I, mean, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do as, a, as an Orioles fan. I mean, it's just it's demoralizing to know every year that you're going to finish 35 games out of first place if you're lucky. Camden Yards is a great time. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you can go have a great time at Camden Yards. You're not going to watch winning baseball, um, but you can watch them hit home runs into the uh, into the warehouse there. That's fun. Uh, you know, you can go look at the uh, the Cal Ripken Jr. memorabilia. That's cool. Um, but in seriousness, uh, about the AL East, perennially, the Rays are underpriced in this division, and I don't get it. I know that there's been some key turnover. I know that a couple of pieces, there are massive question marks relative to the squad they had last year. But six to one to win this division seems bananas to me. Lower than the Blue Jays to win the division seems bananas to me. Give me is there is there is there any reason I should be buyer beware about going and laying the six to one on the uh, on the Rays to win the AL East right now? 
The only thing is that I think the Yankees are really, really good. I think they're much better than than kind of the team that we saw coming into last season. That would be the only hiccup for me would be, you know, the, the fact that New York just looks so strong on paper. But I mean, now that it's up to six to one, I haven't seen a six to one out there. But if I did and it was accessible to me, I would take a piece of it. I know last year I had Tampa Bay plus six fifty to win the East. Um, you know, obviously, that one got canceled because of you know COVID, but. The, the Rays, like, they do everything so intelligently, and they get these guys that, you know, are either also-rans or retreads or something like that, or guys that don't really have the name recognition, and the market just doesn't respect them, even though Tampa Bay maximizes so much of their talent. And, and here's something that you'll love, and this is something I noticed and, and wrote about in the Tampa Bay preview for the betting guide. I noticed that the Rays are a chameleon. At home, they have a much different offensive strategy than they have on the road. Tropicana Field is an awful offensive ballpark. (laughs) So what they do, basically, is they're very patient. I think it was 39.8% of their plate appearances at home ended in a strikeout or a walk. But it was only 35.6%, I'm pretty sure on those percentages, on the road. So they got more aggressive on the road. They tried to score more runs on the road, hit more home runs, all of that. They'll win three to two, four to three at home and not care. But on the road, they're trying to score five, six runs a game. So it's just the little edges, little nuances in their game planning, in their philosophies, in their everything. They're so brilliantly run that they're not, the bottom's not falling out for this team. If anything, they're going to overachieve year in and year out because they're so creative in finding ways to get these edges that. Like you said, perennially they're just underappreciated and and undervalued, and I think this year is more of the same. I just kind of looked at it too, and I I got to thinking about it, and I kind of seen the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is this is a really good team last year, and then you look at you know what the Yankees have, what the Yankees have brought back, what the Yankees have gotten, and you know it's not last season where you have this short sample. Like you just feel like a team like that's built like New York over a long SC. Maybe that's the fly in the ointment here is the Yankees get 162 games to flesh out just how talented of a roster this is. You know, if they stay healthy, they win 105 games, hit 300 home runs and your six to one feels kind of <clears> awful <throat> when the Rays win like 98 games. You know, right. Like, like may, maybe there is something to be said for Rays to make the playoffs, Rays team total <clears> over. <throat> it's a big number. I probably will take some hey, anyway. No one's saying you can at some point get involved with the Yankees. All that's you, true. You, same that, that's, kind of you, idea. You hope same a Yankees pitcher sample. gets hurt. Yeah, like you're all your yeah, your Yankees pitcher gets hurt, or the Yankees start a little slow because they know the season is long, or you know, they underachieve because they're the Yankees and that's what they do. You know, any of those reasons could could give you value to uh to eventually come in on the uh on the Yankees. The name of the game in the futures is getting the best price, getting oh, a yeah. price that's gonna go one way. I love I love getting behind an organization like Adam pointed out that thinks a little bit outside the box that consistently overachieves. I mean, like that's, that sort of stuff I feel like is repeatable. Uh, At least we see it in other sports. And something I love here, and and this is why I love the show that you guys do and and what you contribute to this space is, you know, a lot of people are going to bet their preseason futures and that's it. You know, they're not going to look for opportunities over the course of the season. And you're absolutely right to say that you you always want to be checking this market to see if you find a buy point, on a team that, you know, right now the Yankees, I think, are minus 200, minus 225, something like that, to win the East. If I all of a sudden get the Yankees at, you know, minus 125 or something, 
maybe that's a buy point for me, especially if I'm holding Tampa Bay. But that's what I like is that, you know, you never want to settle for anything in this space when there's always a new price, always a new buy point to be had. And I think it's an excellent point that you make, Drew. On that exact on, on yeah. that exact uh, kind of theme, though, moving to how to plan your season, are there a couple of difference-making prospects that we can keep our eye on for certain teams at certain points in the season? Because I, I remember like Jordan Alvarez gets brought up couple months into the season for the Astros and it was obvious like oh my god this guy is like an immediate difference maker in this lineup and like at that point it was like you know Astros had underachieved a little bit to that point yeah. fire away yeah, if, if their know? young pitching works out they're gonna be good and it halfway worked out and that tells you how far they went yeah I mean, so right I guess there. are there any kind of um uh, prospects that you have your eye on that are potentially coming up this year that could be difference makers yeah, I mean, you know, there are a few in going right back to Tampa Bay. I mean, Wander Franco's is probably the best prospect in Major League Baseball. And and that's a guy that, you know, I mean, if, if he comes up, he makes a really good team that much better. And, you know, those are situations where at some point he will come up. You know, you get past the Super 2 deadline and some of the financial things and all of that, and, and teams get a little bit more aggressive with the prospects that they're bringing up. Kansas City, I think Bobby Witt Jr. will come up here fairly quickly and not that he's an impact guy in terms of a playoff run or anything like that but it seemed like they gave him every opportunity possible to make that ball club out of spring training and this is a Royals team that last year when they weren't any good at all they had really no chance at the playoffs even in a 60 game sample they didn't worry about service time they didn't worry about contract control anything like that they got guys experience in that 60 game season and I think it really helped them. It helped them overachieve where some of their key offensive guys actually didn't play up to their usual levels. So I think when you see that as a player, because all these guys, you know, they talk, they all know their contract situations and all of that. When you see a team that's willing to be aggressive with those minor league player timelines, I think that's kind of a shot in the arm for everybody. So if we start to see that with a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. or something like that, I think that's a team that will kind of ride that wave. And especially if it's a team that's flying under the radar, not super well-known, you know, I think that's a team that from a game-by-game -game standpoint is, is absolutely worth backing. So maybe not necessarily from a future standpoint per se, but just, you know, trying to find value day-to-day -day with the grind. No, and it's like when, when Drew did the thing with his, his arm there. And that, you know, I, I picture that, and you know, every team, <laughs> well, and every team has like a range in their market. We talk about this in every sport. And when, you know, when teams find a low spot, you know, we talked about that, you know, the Yankees get injured. Maybe we get a good spot on them in the futures. It is the same thing with game by game. You're just kind of riding that range and then seeing where there are low spots or maybe not even a low spot, a mid spot. Like you're like what you're talking about. It'd be like a neutral spot where it's like, it's about to spike up. This team's market is about to spike up. I want to get in before that. I'm absolute trash when it comes to understanding all the service time rules and all it's so much more complicated in baseball than and obviously any other sport. Like, and, and like, but these players understand it and they know when a team is being shitty. And it, I mean, it just sends the wrong signal down to the clubhouse. It's like they're holding someone back for the wrong reasons. Like they're, they don't want to win now. They want to control this contract for one more year. It's a service time bullshit move. Like when a team is aggressive and just says, you know, the hell with it, 
we're bringing this kid up because it's the right thing and we're going to win with this team now. Like that has to be, you know, it's such a weird, you know, momentum's not real and, you know, it's, you can't quantify anything I just said, but for sure you see teams that like, it can be a shot in the arm, like you, like you said there. So uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen for. I've seen Bull Durham. I know about yes! uh, the mojo in a clubhouse. There's clubhouse mojo, and it's real. I don't know. Maybe it's not momentum, but it definitely uh, kind of the attitude of the players when you're grinding through a 162 game season. It's real. Yeah, well, I and mean, sending sending too. the right signal from the front office like that. It just says like that. You know, they're they want us to win. They're they're doing everything they can. Whereas, you know, doing it the other way sends such a bad signal. Like, oh shit. The, like, are, are we not that good this year? Do they not think we're going to make it? Well, and especially, too, you think about the individual nature of baseball where, you know, it, it's it's the collective sum of all plate appearances, you know, and, and they say hitting is contagious and, and all of this. And, you know, maybe there's something to be said for that where, you know, a lot of games are simply decided by a handful of plate appearances. You know, it's a game of sequencing. It's a game of, you know, do you cash in with runners in scoring position or, you know, are you unable to do that? And a lot of times, a handful of plate appearances in a game will dictate the outcome. So teams do get into those little runs where they get those big two-out hits and everybody kind of gets this higher degree of confidence and, and this and that. And again, it's it's not quantifiable. You know, it, it's sort of an intangible thing, but it happens. And it yeah. even happens with the absolute worst of the worst teams out there where they'll go on a five-game winning streak or they'll you know, sweep a series against the Dodgers when they're, you know, plus 300 in every game. I mean, those things will happen. And so, yeah, I think a lot of that kind of comes into play of, you know, bringing up minor leaguers, a shot in the arm, you know, just something like that. It, it can really change the, the complexion of, of a season or a stretch for a team. And it's kind of uncomfortable for me because I like to delve more into the analytics and all of that. But, you know, you, you have to acknowledge that kind of presence in baseball. What a transition. What a transition! You cannot, because... you cannot, you cannot quantify um, dugout chatter. No, you. It's can't. impossible. No, you it can't. was easier last year because less fans. You could hear it. But fundamentally, fundamentally, betting on baseball is a quant exercise. Period. Like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, you probably could have had a pretty qualitative handicap and done fine. Uh, but then you know the with the um, advent advent of uh, some of the more sophisticated analytics, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you have m so many games, so many years of data, you can really put some of the advanced techniques to the test, you know, rigorous statistical models, cranking out some true prices. Oh, all of a sudden, it, you look back and you're like, wow, every underdog had value for like 10 years. <laughs> it's like, that's crazy. Like, well, we've corrected that, right? And in fact, like if I look back kind of as a as sort of an outside observer who mostly handicaps other sports and just kind of looks at the baseball handicap and just kind of picking through sort of the content and the uh, the what people talk about, it feels like the analytics have gotten a little stale. Like everybody knows what to use. Everybody's kind of realized that, well, ERA is not that meaningful. You need to dig a little deeper when you're trying to evaluate and price pitchers. Uh, you know, the specific, um, you know, uh, hitting uh, characteristics that, you know, that you can pluck out of, uh, you know, of the advanced uh, hitter statistics make, you know, make for better, you know, forward predictors, more sticky, uh, things like that. And I would, I feel like two years ago, you probably could have found an edge just by being at the forefront of that. But now it's pretty well beaten into the market. Do you get the sense that there is any new wave of, um, you know, 
quantitative angles that can be utilized as you start pricing games this season? Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it's a very model and quant-driven market. And you can see that from the line moves on the overnights. You can see that from, you know, just simply no. You look at a pitcher's basic stat line from a sabermetric standpoint. If his ERA is higher than his FIP and his XFIP, money is probably coming in on him and that team because there's this expectation of positive regression. And everybody out there in the market knows that. So there's really not a whole lot of an edge to be gained from that unless you're staring at the screen or staring at you know whoever opens the market and getting the best of the number right away because that number moves and then the next day around you know four or five o'clock something like that the arb crowd comes in and they play it back the other way because they got it the day before so there's all that arbing and scalping and middling in the in the baseball betting market that you know for me as somebody who also generates a lot of content in the major league baseball betting space it's very hard for me to be out there playing overnights, getting the best of the number, all of that, because the modeling and quant crowd have already done that. So what I started to look at a little bit more is I started to look at some of the stat cast data that's out oh. there. And, and you can find all that on baseball savant. And I start looking at things like, you know, how pitchers suppress exit velocity, how pitchers suppress hard hit rate, you know, what a pitcher's barrel rate is, because there's a very high correlation. And I was trying to find the tweet before the show and, I couldn't find it, but Mike Petrello, who covers a lot of StatCast stuff for MLB Advanced Media at MLB.com, he had a tweet before the shortened season last year about the correlation between win percentage and the team that has the higher exit velocity in the game, the higher hard hit rate in the game, and the higher barrel percentage in the game, or maybe count of barrels, one of the two. But it was like the team with the highest exit velocities, win percentage was up in the sixty high 60s mid to high 60s, I think it was. Higher hard hit rate was in the low 70s. And then barrels was like around 81%, I think. The team that had more barreled balls. So I started looking at contact management for pitchers and about how they would do you know, limiting hard contact against. Because if you're not giving up a lot of hard hit balls, you're probably not giving up a whole lot of runs. Now, there's a certain degree of variance in there with balls that find holes, walks, so on and so forth. But Really, for me, that's what I started looking at. I started looking at pitchers and their ability to suppress runs based on suppressing hard contact. And the funny thing is... I get all this. This is it, great. And yeah. the funny thing is, it felt like it didn't work out to the degree that I would have expected it to. Okay. So on the flip side, what I'm going to do this year instead is instead of looking at guys that suppress hard contact, I want to look at lineups that I think will have more success. So I want to look at it more from an offensive standpoint. Instead of run prevention, I want to look at run opportunity. So I'm going to change that around this year and, and see if that works out a little bit better for me because variance happens. Crazy things happen. A guy may not give up a lot of hard hit contact, but it just happens to find holes and happens to do so at the right time. Now okay. I'm going to look at it as I want to bet on the offense that's going to have more success instead of looking at the run suppression side of it. So now what you were saying made total sense in large part because of how the game has changed to where it is all about the long ball. I mean, right. ball finds a hole, big fucking deal. Guy gets walked, big fucking deal. Guy hits a home run, you know, now you got a problem, right? right. Like, like, and, and so I guess whatever you can do to try to find a happy medium there between um, maybe, uh, maybe you're specifically combining the two in a way where you say, okay, hey, this pitcher has gone up against the 25th, uh, 30th, 30th and 28th, um, you know, barrel lineups 
the last three times out, he's almost certainly overrated at this point, right? right? You know, those, those sort of, um, uh, you know, kind of micro trends in a guy's in a specific pitcher season combined with, okay, well, I know this lineup because, because you're going to, you have so much more data on the lineups and on the, on the, on the batters, like, uh, you know, five times more data. Yeah. Right. You have five times more of that. So you have probably a more stable projection of, you know, how, how hitters can, uh, accomplish and achieve certain aspects, uh, than you're going to have for pitchers anyway. Yeah, and, and I think it's you know I think it's a quality strategy, particularly with first five betting, because you know after the starter goes out, you don't know who's coming in. Sure. But I think I'm going to look more to back, you know, lineups that are making really quality contact, and and it could end up being a very chalky thing for me, because you know usually the best teams, the best lineups are on the best teams. You know, there's going to be some pretty high prices to to be had out there, but you know again, like I said, it, it's such a high correlation between making quality contact and scoring runs and therefore winning ball games. So like, that's what I'm going to try to look at a lot more here this season. And it, it's almost sort of a, a fundamental change to my approach, but I, I just, I found too many cases where, you know, a pitcher would pitch well by some of these contact suppression metrics, but give up that three run Homer, you know, the hardest hit ball comes at the absolute worst time, or, you know, maybe he's inducing a lot of weak contact, but the defense behind him blows. So, you know, guys aren't getting the balls and stuff like that. So um, sometimes I, I fear that I overanalyze games because of the amount of data that's out there. Sure. But, you know, it's just, it's kind of my process and I'm just, I've always been a dogged researcher. So, you know, I think it's just one of those things that maybe I just have to find, like you said, that happy medium where I'm incorporating all of it instead of getting tunnel vision towards certain elements of it. You've always been great when I've talked to you or listened to any of your stuff about context too. And that that's the biggest thing. And <clears throat> kind of like the example Drew just gave about well, just, you know, normalizing any data that you have. And we, we talked about that when we did a podcast last week about like starting a new sport and like finding some data that's actually weighted and normalized to, you know, Oh, this pitcher has been great. Yeah. He just, he, he went, you know, twice versus the Orioles because they had two two series against them sandwiched in between one with the Yankees. Like, yeah, the, he went against some shitty lineups and he's not getting hit because he faced some bad lineups. It was a day game, like even a bad lineup with some rest spots maybe. So, you know, throwing context in anything is super important and it's time consuming. That's why baseball's tough because there's so much going on. And, you know, all the other things too that you said, it just made me think of, you know, you talk about switching up some of your plans or switching up what you're doing. Like just if you're not doing that in this space, if you're not doing that in any sport, you're probably going to have a bad time just because anything you do, if it's successful enough, will be baked into the market eventually. So always looking for that next edge, always, you know, finding like, it sounds like you follow some interesting baseball follows that have some, you know, you take something. It's funny how like one tweet like that, can make can turn into like a whole research project for you. Like I've had that where somebody tweets out something about football or you know college basketball, and you end up doing just this dive into all your data. Into you go, we have to go find new data. You're digging into back data. You're back testing something, and you know what? Like nine times out of the ten, it turns into nothing, and that's the worst part about this. But the one time that you find something like there's legit correlation here, and I think I have a small edge that I can be actionable like that's that's just the best that's just the best part of all of this so like i get maybe that would be the the key takeaway from any of this you know outside of like it, exactly what adam's doing like 
if you think you have enough data and you can find, you know, a research project like that, dig into it because you might be finding an edge that, I mean, honestly, there's, there's edges out there to be found that nobody else has. Yeah. You're, you could find something nobody else has. And I think baseball is the perfect example for that because there's so much data and yeah. it's so much, not only so much data, but so much incredible analytically driven player level data. It's, it's overwhelming, honestly. Yeah. And yeah, if you can is. even beyond that, that if you find, question. if you find a couple of uh, statistics that, you know, shape the market early, shape the overnights, like you mentioned. Right. And it goes against what you otherwise think to be true <laughs> or know to be true. Uh, then that's the most valuable of all, because well, then and, you and, look like the R, but in reality, you're making the plus EV play. And the funny thing for me is, you know, like maybe this comes from more of a fantasy baseball standpoint. But, you know, there are a lot of projection systems out there that, you know, list projections for individual players. And one of the things that I've found in sort of looking through those or kind of hearing about those secondhand is that, you know, when I look at pitchers, for example, their projections based on, you know, some of the systems that are out there don't incorporate things like the pitcher making a fundamental change last year to throw fewer fastballs and throw more changeups or more sliders or something like that to where this guy all of a sudden will suppress hard contact more because he's simply not throwing his fastball as much. You know, these teams are, are really getting down to this micro level with their pitchers of saying, hey, look, man, this pitch is shitty. Stop throwing it. <laughs> like, why, why are you throwing this 45% of the time? Let's throw it 25% of the time, and we'll make up for it by throwing sliders and change-ups more. Oh, we're back and, to Bull Durham. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those things, they don't get baked into these individual player projections, and they also don't get baked into a number because – you know, there's just sort of this widely accepted number for a pitcher and a team and his starts, and that's what it's going to be, and it's that, you know, that's that. But for me, I look at areas where pitchers can get better or have gotten better, and the market just hasn't picked up on it yet because you know, Kenta Maeda last year, for example, is, is the best example I could think of with the Twins where he went to the Twins, and the Twins were like, hey, man, look, like we love what you do, but let's throw less of this and more of this. And all of a sudden, his strikeout rate skyrocketed. You know, he had his best season ever from an exit velocity standpoint. And it took the market probably five or six starts to really catch up and price him accurately. So I made a bunch of money, you know, four or five starts in a row off Kenta Maeda. And then the market pivoted. And then that's when I pivoted too and just stopped backing him. <laughs> so, you know, those are things that they're not really, they're not really thought about. You know, I don't know if it's a time thing or, or if it's too hard to incorporate into a model or something like that. But, yeah. you know, I, I found some of these gravy trains that, you know, I've had a chance to ride by looking at, you know, some of these pitch usage changes and, you know, some that haven't worked out too. But I've yeah. seen those charts too. Like those are widely available. Like here's what this guy is throwing and you can compare it against historical stuff. And it just sounds like the stupidest goddamn kindergarten idea. <laughs> it's like, hey, guess what? This pitch sucks especially when you throw it in this sequence, we're going to throw it less and we're going to especially throw it less in this count or this sequencing and you should be better at pitching. And it, it oh, has weird, a, weird it works. It has a network effect too because the uh, the hitting scouts are telling their hitters to expect this and now all of a sudden they're not getting that. 
and right. yeah, it has that has a two double two two uh, two uh, two sided effect there. Um, and I again, I, as someone who's been way too in the weeds, way too head in the numbers, not really doing my due diligence qualitatively, um, and just backing a team over and over again because the numbers said the edge, you know, that they were better than the market thought, and then you look up and the market's caught up to you and you don't realize it. Like it's tough to walk away, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're on a hot table, you know, in Vegas, you know, you're, you're, you keep it making the point in craps. You're like, Oh, I'm going to keep making this point. You know, it's, it's tough to walk away from, you know, a winner when you hit, hit them two, three times. So it's not, it's not surprising really that uh, uh, people will continue going back to the well when they find an edge on a certain player, but that's the way it goes. Um, and honestly, like some teams, which are more widely watched, which are more carefully covered, uh, the velocity own, with which the market reacts, that have their own networks, that are the betting handle is bigger. Um, those teams, the market will correct faster. The teams that aren't necessarily watched as closely, you know, like you you catch the wind that some you know the third pitcher for the Kansas City Royals has done something nice has changed up something has won a couple of games uh and they have a series a couple of series against the the Rockies and the uh you know and and the Tigers nobody's caught wind of this like you know it can it can last a lot longer and so that's but that's very qualitative trying and and or you know but yeah, you need a baseline price to compare it to. Well, I like anyway. that Maeda example. It's like anything else. Like, and it's funny how there's it's no other sport like this, really, where you know the starting pitcher is such a weird part of the game where they have their own. Like, we again go back to the like a team has a range in the market. That starting pitcher has a range, and you talk about like he's down here. I'm betting him, betting him, betting him. Once he gets to a certain price range, you know, I got to get off that train mm-hmm. because that number's about right. And honestly, if he wins those, if he wins a couple of games where it's priced about right, it's going to keep going. And eventually you're going to be able to come in on the other side of a guy like that, yeah. like tracking the price range. And, you know, I know uh, some other baseball handicappers I talked to, like such a massive part of what they do is like, they have very strict numbers for all the starting pitchers. And like, if they're wrong on a guy, they're going to lose they're going to lose on him three, four times in a row before they, for their right, because it sucks. It is such a small sample size. Like I he had a bad day. He might still be really good. Like a, a, that's such a hard part for me is like deciding when to, when to Stop bail. Martin like, Gailing. Oh, I, I was wrong. <laughs> you know, just like, you know, it, because it does yeah. happen every year. Like this guy, I had projected him. Other people had projected him. He was supposed to be good or maybe he was supposed to be bad. And it goes the opposite way. And I think, you know, like you talked about the the different pitches or, you know, figuring out that's when you have to dig in. Like, you know, you can't sit. Nobody has the time unless you're doing this professionally or you have a team to really dig into every single pitcher, you know, every single night and really figure out what's going on with their, you know, staff and everything. But, like, if you have a guy like that where you're you're projecting a pitcher to be you know, X level of performance and he's way above or way below it. That's the guy that you need to start looking at. Like what kind of pitches is he throwing? What kind of velocity is he having looking at the advanced statistics, just specifically on him comparing it to maybe some games with similar lineups from the year before, or, you know, the start before trying to figure out why you're wrong. Cause that can save you. I mean, just like winning money's cool, but not losing. It's even better. <laughs> A quick, quick question for you about the, the market. You mentioned uh, openers and the, the arbitrage players and the timing of all that. Obviously, that is extremely important if you are doing this at a 
a rec plus or a professional level, in my opinion. Who I, and I and I just I'm asking this because I've seen it change in the NBA this year relative to years past. I don't know about college basketball. Is BetOnline still opener? College basketball opener, Andy, from the, for the small, small, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, what, uh, who is who is now kind of the consensus uh, line opener for MLB, or who was it? I guess last year. Um, you know, when are you seeing some of the markets pop that are taking a little bit higher limits, and do you see action happening around the same time uh, every day as limits go up? Like, is it is is it? Are you expecting it to be predictable this season, or do you think it's going to take a little, you know, a couple weeks before it sort of settles in? No, that's a really good question. And especially because, you know, you've got uh, you got a lot going on here, you know, at the start of the Major League Baseball season where the NBA and the NHL are still very much in their regular seasons. You got the Masters a week after opening day, um, you know, which is, is a usual thing. But I don't know how quickly people are going to gravitate towards baseball, especially coming off of the uncertainty with the 60 game season. Uh, you know, typically bet online is, you know, one of the first to open. I imagine Circa will throw its hat in that ring here as well. Usually you get some movement off the overnights and then you'll get a lot of movement around 8 a.m. Eastern time, 8 8:30 where people start looking at what happened the night before. And and I don't grab a ton of overnights even though I have a pretty good idea of where the market's going to go because in 2021 and and really for the last several years Bullpen handicapping is so important. You know, you've got to know who was used the night before. Are they going to be pitching three games in three days if they pitch today? Well, that means they're probably not available, particularly early on in the season. So I want to know exactly who's available coming out of that bullpen before I think about anything from a full game standpoint. So you'll see some overnight grabs, certainly, uh, with, you know, people that just, you know, play their model numbers and, and all of that. But then you'll see that wave of movement in the morning, and then you'll kind of see that afternoon, probably mid to late afternoon buyback of, of kind of the ARB crowd. And then, you know, maybe you get some right before game time movement based on lineups or, or whatever else. But yeah, I think it's it's pretty much bet online that I can think of uh, in terms of market openers. But, you know, like I said, I'm sure Circa will be, you know, certainly out there a lot more uh, this season than they probably were last year. Gotcha. Yeah, they're, they're cool. about that life. So let's, let's go through a couple of your thoughts on some of these major markets. Um, American League MVP, Mike Trout is plus 245. That seems a little wild. I get it. He's the best player in baseball. But anyone uh, strike your fancy outside of the Mike Trout show for American League MVP? Yeah, there are a couple of guys that kind of intrigue me. One of them, actually, I'm a little bit worried about because he's got an oblique injury right now. But George Springer is going to be set up really, really well for Toronto. He's going to bat towards the top of a very potent lineup, which something I guess I should start with this, that, you know, MVP voting is is done by beat writers in that league's markets. I think there are two beat writers in each city that wind up getting a vote. So there is a human element to this. And, and while we've got a younger crop of beat writers now, and I can't wait until they get Hall of Fame votes. You know, you've got some guys that look at the advanced metrics, will look at things like war. You've got the old guard, the old school guys that look at all those counting numbers, you know, batting average, home runs, RBI, those kinds of things. So you have to have a really good balance between a guy that's going to stand out in the advanced metrics and also stand out in the more conventional metrics. And that's why I think a guy like George Springer could be really good because Springer is going to be at the top of a very potent Toronto order. He's going to hit for power because whether they play in Dunedin down in Florida for a long period of time or they go to Buffalo or they go back home, 
those are all pretty good hitters parks. They're above okay. average hitters parks. So he'll have a really good hitters park in Florida for as long as he's there. Um, you know, he's a good defensive outfielder for whatever that's worth to the voters. But I think he'll be able to put up really big numbers in a lineup where I think he'll stand out more than other players simply because he's kind of proven on that big stage. Because that's something you want to look at, too, in these MVP markets. Like it, you mentioned Mike Trout, for example. Well, Anthony Rendon had a higher F war than Mike Trout last year. So there's a chance that if Rendon and Trout are both really good, they share votes. So sure. I want a guy on a team who's really going to dominate the vote. And I think Springer has the capability for doing that in Toronto. One guy who maybe would have a harder time dominating the vote, but I do like him, major market guy, would be DJ LeMahieu for, for, the, for the New York Yankees. Again, top of the order guy. He'll get those counting numbers. Want to, he's a guy who puts a ton of balls in play, so he doesn't waste plate appearances with strikeouts. That gives him the chance to rack up hits, RBI, home runs, stuff like that. So Springer and LeMahieu are, are two guys that I do like quite a bit uh, in the AL market. And I think they're both in that 20 to 25 to 1 range. Nice. How about in the NL? Uh, sp speaking of splitting votes, your two co-favorites, Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, presumably going to split the vote along with Seegers in the mix. I mean, that, that whole lineup is going to share credit. Uh, it was yeah. tough to pick your, you know, it's <laughs> tough to pick out who truly will be the MVP out of this mix. Do we just swerve Dodgers altogether and try to find someone else who will stand out? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And, you know, again, I mean, you got to look for a team that's going to have success too. I mean, you know, Mike Trout has won the MVP award on some bad Angels teams, but by and large, for better or worse, and, and we see this across all sports, the MVP winds up coming from a good team usually, you know, a team that makes the playoffs. So <laughs> it's funny. I talk about not splitting votes, but I do think Manny Machado has got a shot for the Padres because the sure. Padres should be a very good team. I know Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to get a lot of the buzz, a lot of the hype. But there may be some voters either put off with the bat flips because, again, they're old, <laughs> crotchety white men or because, you know, you just have a situation where Tatis just got a $340 million deal. So maybe people are like, you know what? I'll give it to Machado. Tatis doesn't need anything. He's got money. So you try to handicap the human element a little bit. But I also think that Manny Machado just has a monster year. He bounced back really nicely in the 60-game sprint, uh, plays, you know, a very important defensive position at third base. I think Machado's a guy that I like in the National League. And, you know, another one that I'm kind of taking a look at here a little bit as far as the National League goes is Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. You know, last year, Acuna wound up bo uh, boosting his fly ball percentage, which allowed him to hit for more power. And, you know, again, you talk about what grabs headlines, what gets attention, all of that. I think the fact that he can steal bases, that he can hit for power, and his power tool is probably continuing to develop. I think that's a guy that has a really good chance. And the price isn't great at you know 10 or 12 to 1, but I think he has a monster year for a Braves team that I do think wins the NL East. So that you know that really helps in the equation too. It's goofy with the Dodgers thing, like the vote splitting. <clears throat> like that's always such a it just makes your eyes pop right off those guys right away. It's like you go like the uh player of the year in college basketball right now or the tournament most most outstanding player the top three are just three the three gonzaga guys like, what do you want me to do bet into that that isn't happening <laughs> <laughs> but the uh yeah the, you know the it, it is wild uh at least in the al mike trout hasn't led the led the league in war since 2016 
it's been a long time since he really would have deserved the, this kind of market respect for this this major award. But I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something with the Angels, but I think the market is way high on these guys. So we'll see. Um, how about uh, any of your? Uh, you know, we'll kind of kind of uh, wrap it up here with two final questions. Uh, favorite win total on the board? Anything Ooh. really stand out to you? I'll give you a favorite over and a favorite under. Um, Ooh, nice. you know, my favorite under actually here is Oakland. I think Oakland under 87 and a half, you know, that's kind of the, the top of the market right now. Under 87 and a half, I think is a good look. Their bullpen is not nearly as strong as it's been in the past. Their starting rotation is full of guys that have injury risks. And offensively, I think they've got some guys that are ripe for some regression. I think this will not be as good of a defensive team as it has been in the past either. So I think there are a lot of things working against Oakland, a, a team that, I mean, look, you know, I think 2018, 2019, they won 97 games each year. So maybe it's a little bit of a bold statement to make, but, you know, I talk about being a metrics guy. I talk about being an analytics guy, but with how in-depth I go studying the baseball season, the fact that I've liked Oakland like four or five years in a row up until this point suggests to me that there's something about this team that's just not going to pan out. So I do like Oakland under their season win total, 87 and a half. As far as an over goes, I mentioned them already. I, I think I found them around nine to one to win the East. I think the Phillies are much better than people realize. I think the Nationals fall off. The Phillies gain from that. They fixed their bullpen. It was easily the worst part of the team last year. They got four major league caliber relievers that are guys with proven track records. Top 10 lineup. They were top five as a rotation last year. Aaron Nola is one of the guys I like to win the Cy Young this season. Zach Wheeler is very, very good. And they're one of those teams just doing some creative things, some smart things with their pitchers that I think really help out some of their back of the rotation guys. So Phillies over 80 and a half and then A's under 87 and a half are, are probably two of my favorite win totals. I dig it. You know, the final question. Bud Black, first manager fired. <laughs> Rocky's looking for a scapegoat. <laughs> I can get that for eight. Wouldn't eight surprise to one. me. Eight to one. No, I, I don't know what. Uh, I don't oh, mind it. What's a what's a fair price on um on the uh, Minnesota Twins winning a uh, uh a, a playoff series? Oh like man, big 50, number. Big Fifty to one. Hundred. You know what? I will say <laughs> this. I, I think their AL Central price isn't bad. You know, I, I know everybody sure. loves the White Sox, and for for a lot of you know legitimate Ooh, reasons, can we get a double that they win the AL Central and lose their play, first round matchup? Well, I mean, you can do Ooh, an open a double parlay. there. Open parlay, yeah, yeah I like this. I like go. this. Leave it open, leave it open, <laughs> and then and then take the Houston uh, series price <laughs> when they get there, or Yankees. Yeah, God, if they face the Yankees in the playoffs, that's My, what's that, what's that price that like minus minus two thousand? Yeah, okay, <laughs> that seems fair. Yeah, that seems okay. about right. Oh, that's that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that's, know. What was awesome. your what was your last question? <laughs> I, I'm just giving you a hard time. Obviously, the twins are fun. Yeah, they they are. Well, I mean, just who wins it? You gotta you gotta make a prediction so we can clip it and play it later. Oh man, you know I, I until proven yeah, otherwise. Clip it if they lose, so you can make it a bold one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Or you can just do them all, and we'll only clip the right one. Well, there you go. I like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll go off the air, and we'll, we'll have you make thirty of these. You know, <laughs> I really think the Orioles have a. I'll give you. Why don't I give you a soundbite here and say I can tell you one team will not win the World Series is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ah, okay. I, I think I think that's I about as close to a lock as we can get. Uh, I will say that. I mean, I I have to give it to the Dodgers here just simply because they're so deep. I mean, they they're just remarkably deep, and I know it's not a sexy pick for on air, but you know, I mean, 
this is a team that just they have no weaknesses whatsoever. They're very, very smart. They're efficiently run. And also, too, there are some guys out there that are impending free agents that the Dodgers will have no problem trading for, and they will have no problem giving up some of their minor league currency or anything like that. So I think if they find a weakness on their ball club, they will get the best player that they need to in order to fill that. So, I, I mean, look, maybe they lose to the Padres in that division series, and that would be the, the thing that would trip them up. But I think the Dodgers do win it, and I, boy, this is great radio. I think the Dodgers beat the Yankees for it, honestly. I and mean, once that Yankees bullpen gets healthy, once they shore up that rotation with some of the new guys, again, I just think they're the deepest and, and most balanced team in the American League. So yeah. Dodgers over Yankees is as fun and exciting and as sexy as that is. It's a great series. Like, yeah, yeah it's it chalky, is. it's gross yeah. or whatever, but the, yeah. I mean, the, uh, MLB would love it. If David oh, Stern was yeah. still around. That would be your that would be your World Series. That's all that solves all your labor issues. That solves all your revenue issues right there, right? It's all yeah, Yankees, Dodgers, World Series. But fortunately, um, the, the nice thing is because those two teams are you know priced so low, it, it does give us some value in the futures market. E- even if that's the most likely World Series outcome, we should be able to make money in the playoffs long before that. Yeah, that's a fair point. Oh, um, sure. Andy, who's your prediction? I mean, probably the same. I'm gonna go like Houston Dodgers. Houston just, I think Dodgers. Houston, Houston, Dusty Baker. That. Dusty Baker still got the goods. Really? Honestly, can, I, can, I, I think it's he manages good, way out of a series. Really? Good enough. Good enough team that they don't they don't screw it up. I just love to see the Yankees losing the playoffs. I've enjoyed. It's been a long time. Their uh, pinstripes can't can't yeah. just buy them unless you live in LA. Then you have. That's wild to think that like that. That's my closing thought is that the best team and it's not particularly close especially in their you know in their div- or their conference i keep wanting to say conference league is willing to just add players and not mm. only players like go get the high end free agent like that's what i love about baseball is uh, honestly the the trade deadline in baseball is the best tra- deadline because it's like there's some teams that are going to go all in like it, you show your cards at the deadline like are you do you think you can do it? Like, holy shit, you do because you just went and got that pitcher. You went and added those two relievers and you spent, you know, guess what? Your your prospects are gone. This is it. You're going for it. I love that shit. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll be, I'll be the, uh, I'll be the wild card then. Tigers, Rockies. <laughs> Maybe not that wild. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I'll say, uh, give me the, uh, give me the Rays and the Braves. I like it. Probably the World Series we should have Fascinating got. World Series. Raise, raise over Braves. Yeah, raise over Braves. That, that sounds good. Yeah. I like and that. If, I hope if, I'm uh, rooting for yours more than the one that I predicted. Well, it's gonna be fun regardless. Baseball season's oh, yeah. back, guys. We're back. It's America's pastime is back. Um, and I you know, I guess over under on how many baseball games you're gonna see this year, Andy. In person. See? In person, I don't know if you'd count Honkers games like five, but five? I'll go to a few. Okay. I'll probably okay. go. You know what? The, the last baseball game I attended in person, this will be the closer, was in San Francisco oh, when cool. I went out to Napa in like, what, 2019. Nice. I didn't make nice. it to a Twins game that year. So my last game was a Giants game, which is great. Weird. Great ballpark. Abba, Abba, you had him oh, over under on that. live baseball games this year. Um, well, That's a good question. I don't know. I'd say maybe over under four and a half. I, I don't. Half, yeah. We're all probably about right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I live an hour and a half from the Twin Stadium, so it's 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 a little more of a trick to get up there. Trick, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Well, what about, what about you going down to Chavez Ravine? Uh, Chavez Ravine is more accessible than it's ever been because traffic in LA has taken an enormous uh, oh, step God. backwards. Thankfully, I'm going to knock on wood that it doesn't get bad again this summer. Um, but uh, yeah, a trip to Chavez, Chavez Ravine, I, I might as well have gone to San Diego um, to see the Padres uh, because it's that long of a drive on a normal day. But um, it has been bad of late. So I think it's more more likely than ever I'll see some Dodgers this year. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be a great year. I'm excited. Adam, thank you for your time. Best of luck as you handicap the baseball season. Where can people find you on the Twitter sphere? What else you got going on? And uh, anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Skating Tripods. And actually, uh, shortly before we did the show, I tweeted out my 2021 MLB betting guide, which is available over at ATS.io. Uh, it's a landing page with links to all of the content, 30 season previews, all the division pennant world series futures and some player futures stuff. Uh, but there's also a PDF that I shared on Google drive that you can check out and print that off with company Inc or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do with it. Uh, it is a pretty big document, but it also includes uh, a lot of the stats that I like to use to handicap. So I know we talked about some of the exit velocity metrics and all of that. Uh, a lot of the other saber metric stats that I like to use, I do explain what they mean and, you know, sort of the context and why I think they're valuable. Uh, over the course of that guide as well. So I think it's a really good tool. And, and I also think it's, you know, a good introductory thing for people that want to learn some of the saber metrics and the analytics that, you know, go into the decisions that their favorite teams you know, make. So I think it's a really powerful tool for that. And of course, you know, hopefully from a betting standpoint as well. I love it. I love it. Well, with that, we wrap. Yes. Appreciate Andy, the time, Adam. Best of Thank luck. You. Best of luck to everyone uh, on uh, Sweet 16 and elite aid handicapping and betting uh i hope uh who are you rooting for andy you're rooting for the zags you got a zags ticket Z- zags now. but uh bama and usc as well for some draws that i got them in mm, okay okay so, a little bit everybody. Looking, i need baylor to get to the final four they they I, a baylor national title is about the only thing that could save my march at this point um so let's go baylor uh adam who are you rooting for anybody but michigan Okay. I'm an Ohio State guy, so anybody but Michigan. <laughs> it, it's that simple for me. Yep. I like it. My, my like buddy, it. my buddy's got a real good piece of Loyola Chicago at two twenty-five to one. So uh, if if they want to make a good run, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I dig it. I dig it. All right, guys. We'll take care. Best of luck. And uh, this was a ton of fun as always. Uh, we'll have to uh, reach out for a midseason check-in. See uh, see what's going on. Come. Fourth of July or so. Uh, We're having, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a fucking all star break this year. Oh, it's gonna be fun. Yes. Uh, ne- I'll never be I'll never be as excited to not watch sports. That'll be great. Um, all right, guys, best of luck. Hey, nice job. Good work. I was gonna sing the Go Cubs Go song because I got my hat on, but I well, didn't. And also, I don't remember all the words. But it you starts re- with, because you said it, you said, and it's like baseball season's underway. <laughs> and then later they're like, you can watch it all on WGN. Like they get a plug in there for the channel. <laughs>